Good morning, church family. It's always a joy to be with you as it is this morning. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, when I grew up in the mission field in the Philippines, uh, for many years, I went to a school in a one-room schoolhouse, uh, typical like in the in Little House on the Prairie or Anne of Green Gables, if you ever watch those. Um, and so there was only a few of us in this, in this classroom, but our teacher did a really good job teaching us, and so she would give us homework every night, which teachers should do, by the way, that was free. Uh, and so she would give me these, this math homework, and because she was nice, she would take her red pen and she would cross out the numbers I did not have to do. Um, well, apparently, I didn't like math homework, so I went home and found my mom's red pen also. You already know what I did, don't you? And I would mark off more numbers that I didn't, didn't want to do. And the next day, guess what? Nothing happened. So I figured, she, she's not on to me. So I did this for about two weeks. Of course, she knew from day one. So after two weeks, I got the, I said, Peter, I need to come see you. And in a very loving way, um, she confronted my sin. She explained what dishonesty was and why it was wrong. Um, and she was very nice to explain the consequences of my dishonesty as well. So not only did I have to do all those two weeks of homework questions that I crossed off thinking I was getting away with it, um, but I was actually suspended. I was suspended for a day, that's right. Uh, I, I had to go out and work with another missionary and we did manual labor. I picked up coconuts and palm branches and we cleaned up the property. But to this day, if I, if I recall correctly, I do not believe I have ever cheated on a test or tried to manipulate homework ever again. It worked, her, her admonition worked. Um, and today, we're, if you've seen your, in your outline, we're gonna talk about tough love. What is tough love? One of the Bible verses that reminds me of what tough love is, is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, that says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Tough love is, is a father who loves his daughter or his son and is willing to even go to drastic measures to keep him or her from hurting himself or herself or others. Tough love is a prophet Nathan who confronts King David over his sin in 2 Samuel 12. Tough love is a church that cares enough about its members to call them out when there's unrepentant sin, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's unpleasant. Tough love is Paul's actions for the church in Corinth. So we're gonna read what Paul says about the tough love that he has toward this church in Corinth. So let's read together. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, start reading in verse 20. Paul says this, for I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish. And you, find, and you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, may God, my God may humble me before you. And I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the, of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who sinned before and all the others. And I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. 
tough love. And in this passage before us this morning, instead of, as I typically do in going verse by verse, I see woven in these verses three main elements or characteristics of what tough love is. Um, so let's look at them together this morning. First, in your outline, you'll see that tough love confronts sin. Tough love confronts sin. Uh, you know, honesty is the courage to tell the truth. Um, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.15 that we are to speak the truth in, help me out, in love. And yes, love does sort of tamper the, the honesty with which we talk, but we still need to speak the truth. We still need to speak the truth even though it's, it's not easy, it's not fun, it's not pleasant, even though we, we fear how the other person might respond. But it's speaking the truth in love. The late pastor and author Warren Wearsby said this about this verse. He said, truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. And here Paul's saying, church, I love you. And because I love you, I need to tell you the truth. Paul says, look at it says in verse 20. He starts confronting sin. He says, I'm, af I'm afraid that when I come... I'm still going to see these sins that should have been dealt with. There's, there, there's jealousy and quarreling, or the opposite way, quarreling jealousy. There's, there's anger, hostility. There, there's slander and gossip, conceit and disorder. He says, these, I, I have to confront these because these are sins that, that affect the unity of the church. And I'll encourage you this week, I believe on Tuesday, join me in Beyond the Notes because time does not allow us today, but we are going to dig deep into these, these sins and describe what they are and how they affect the unity of the church and how we as a church can safeguard ourselves so we do not fall into the same trap as the church in Corinth. He says there's sins that affect the unity of the church, but there's also sins that affect the purity of the church. Look in verse 21. He says, I, I, I'm... So the second half of the verse, he's, he talks about how there's those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, sensuality. And once again, tune in this week because they only gave me so much time to talk today. Um, but Paul's saying this, a true love for the church and for an individual will confront sin. It's not easy, it's not pleasant, but if you truly love somebody, and you see sin in their life that is unrepentant of, is unconfessed, you will confront it. But why? Why does tough love confront sin? Well, that's number two on your outline. Tough love confronts sin because tough love is committed to the well-being of others. If you've been here for long, uh, you'll hear us say this definition of what love is. True love is an unconditional, self-sacrificial commitment to the well-being of others. And Paul says, tough love confronts sin because it is committed to their well-being. And as we heard Paul, I guess we read him, um, as, as we read what Paul said to the church, I see a couple of different aspects of that kind of love that is committed to their well-being. First, we see, and I put this on your outline as well, that love builds up. Love builds up. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul told them in 1 Corinthians 8.1 that knowledge puffs up, just creates a haughty mind. But love, what does it do? It builds up. It builds up. And Paul's saying, this is why I'm telling you. And actually, last week, Pastor Russell finished verse 19 talking about a love that pays the price. And look what verse 19 of chapter 12 says in 2 Corinthians. Paul asks, have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? Say no, but it is in the sight of God 
that we've been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. Paul says, the reason I say this, the reason I write, the reason that we, we, we go through these defenses about, about the gospel of Christ and my apostleship of that gospel is not, is not to make much of us, it's not, it's not to make much of me, it's, it's for your upbuilding. Even before in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, verse 8, we saw this several weeks ago. He says, for even if I boast a little too much about the authority that, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. Paul saying, the, the reason that I speak with this authority given to me by the Lord Jesus Christ is not to make you feel bad about your sin. It's not to destroy you. It's, it's to build you up so I can see your spiritual life mature and to grow and to see fruits of the Holy Spirit in your life. Let me ask you a question. So in your personal relationships that the Lord has given to you, does your love build up? Does your love to others encourage them, support them, to cheer them on? Does your love sometimes confront sin in order to strengthen them? Paul says, the reason I write is because love builds up, but also because love hopes all things. In 1 Corinthians 13, as Paul describes some of the characteristics of love, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says that love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, endures all things. And as we read this passage, I can, I can see that Paul is not ready to, to completely denounce the Corinthian church. He's not saying, that's it. You guys have sinned way too much. I'm done. You're, you're never going to change. Man, how many of us are like that? How many of us say, oh, well, he's, he's never going to change. Why, why bother? She's always going to have that attitude. It's, 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 it's pointless. No, true love Hopes, all things. And we see this in Paul's attitude. We see it almost in his voice as if he were talking to us. At the end of the, at the, end of the book, pretty much, in 2 Corinthians 13, 10, listen to what Paul says. He says, for this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, and he's gonna come, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Paul says, oh, church in Corinth, I, I hear of, of contentions and strife and jealousies and I hear of impurity and sexual immorality and uncleanness. I hear of, but no, I, the reason I write these things is that, so that when I come, you will deal with it. And that I, I hope this will not be the case when I come in person. And Paul's almost praying through his words that, that they would change, that they would see the error of their ways because love hopes all things. And even in verses 20 and 21, look how verse 20 begins. It says, I fear that when I come, I'm going to find you not as I wish. Verse 21 says, I, I fear that when I come again, God may have to humble me. He's saying, I'm not, it's not he's not saying it's definite. He said, but I, I'm afraid this might be, but, but there's a chance. There's still, and he even says, verse 20, I feel that perhaps, you, see, you, you, you hear the hope in there. I, I hear that perhaps, I don't know, I've heard, but I, I pray this is not the case. Hope, for, I'm sorry, love, hopes all things. It says in verse 20, I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and you may find me not as you wish. In his first letter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said something similar at the end of, the, at the end of chapter 4, verse 21. He says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, which is an instrument of discipline, chastisement, or 
with love and a spirit of gentleness. He's saying, my dear believers, my, my Corinthian church, I love you and I'm coming and there are sins that you have to take care of. If you deal with those sins, when I come, it'll be with a spirit of love and gentleness. And we will rejoice together because God is growing you. He's allowing you to be convicted of sins and you're responding correctly. But if I come and the sin remains, I come with a rod, with discipline. I don't want that, Paul says. Love builds up. Love hopes all things. Love is patient. I see Paul's patience in this love 1 Corinthians 13.4 says that love is patient and kind. Look at chapter 13, verse 1, 2 Corinthians. Paul says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. He said this last week. Russell talked to us in verse 14 of chapter 12. Here for the third time I'm ready to come to you. Paul's, you know what? If, if I were the apostle Paul, and praise God I'm not, uh, one, because I'd be dead, but two, because he's a lot more patient than I am. I think after the first and second visit, I'd say, you know what, that's it, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I, I have spent 18 months with you guys. I have taught you the word of God. I presented the gospel. You were saved. And then I left. And I heard you were stumbling, so I wrote, and then I came again. And you, you, you rejected me. You, you rejected me in my second visit. God, this is your messed up church. You deal with it. And he might have been able to justify that, but he didn't do that because love is patient. Oh, how many times have people been patient with me? I thank the Lord for his patience because it is the reason I'm still standing alive today if the Lord were not patient. One thing about tough love, when we talk about tough love, we usually think about how tough it is for the person to, to hear that, you know? Does anyone like getting confronted by their sins? I don't see any hands. No, we don't. But tough love is actually tough or tougher for the person who's showing that kind of tough love. How many of you ever had parents, or maybe this is you as a parent, that when you have to discipline your child, you hear this phrase, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I'll be quite honest, as a child, I did not believe my dad when he said that. And he said it enough times. I was disciplined more often than I deserved, more than I like to admit. Um, but having grown in my, in my relationship with the Lord and having now been a father, I am a father, I guess that still continues, it, it is true. No one who truly loves their children wants to inflict some kind of pain on them. But sometimes it's necessary. And Paul says, I have to call you out. But I'm patient. A third, I'm, I'm coming a third time. There's time to repent. There's time to change. Please do that. In verse 21, we see how Paul's love, how his edifying and hopeful and patient love affected the apostle. And this is not in your outline. This is free, so jot these down if you want. Um, but it affected him in two words, shame and sorrow. Shame and sorrow. Look at verse 21. It says, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you. Why would Paul have to be humbled or humiliated when he came again? Let's remember, Paul was a spiritual father of the church in Corinth. He was the one who took the gospel to them and shared with them doct sound doctrine. And yet now Paul says, I, I, I just want to see you practice what you said you once believed. You know, Paul's ashamed that those who he's addressing as saints 
are acting like ain'ts, if you will. That they're exhibiting rotten fruit from their former pagan lifestyle. Paul said, how can you profess Christ and live as if you don't know him? And you remember the whole last several chapters of 2 Corinthians is Paul defending the gospel through his defense of his apostleship. And one of the things that he's saying is that church in Corinth, you're, let's look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. These false teachers had these letters of recommendation that proved how worthy they were of being an apostle, even though they were false apostles. But Paul says, listen, 2 Corinthians 3, 2, Paul says, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. He said, I don't need a letter of recommendation, church. You, your changed lives, your spiritual life is our letter of recommendation. But if you're living in unconfessed, unrepentant sin, what kind of recommendation are you giving? If, if, if my proof that God has truly called me to plant this church and to disciple you and to teach the pure, pure and faithful gospel, and this is the way you live, I fear that when I come again, the Lord will have to humble me. But not only that, but Paul tells us not in Corinthians, but in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We know this verse very well. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says, we are not, we are not supposed to go back to be molded by the world. Oh, McGregor, let us not allow ourselves to be squeezed back into the mold of the world, going back to sins of which the Lord has already saved us and rescued us. Paul said, I'm shame, but also sorrow. He says, once again in verse 12, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier. See, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul tells us that, that many Corinthian believers did truly repent. But he says, I'm, I'm afraid that some of you have not yet had this spiritual experience of repentance. And, and here you are professing the name of Christ and yet living in a style of sin. You see, the false teachers came in and the false teachers spouted this false doctrine. And following false doctrine came faulty living. Because whenever you are fed unsound doctrine and you believe it, you will begin to act the way you believe. Because theological error always leads to behavioral iniquity, which means bad teaching results in sin and bad living. And Paul says, you guys have been listening to and believing and accepting this false doctrine and now it's showing up in the way you're living. He said, believers in Christ should not live that way. He says, I feel, I'm afraid that when I come again, I will have to mourn over many of you. And look what it says at the end of verse 21. Many of you who have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality and sensuality that they have practiced. He's not talking about when a believer falls into a sin. He said, this is a lifestyle of sin. This is a pattern, a practice. You don't expect a church to be sinless. You don't expect believers to never sin. But when they do sin, what you expect and what you pray for, what you cry out, what you preach is that when they sin, that the church would do what? They would repent of that sin. That is why Paul mourns. And the reason why he mourns is who, number three in your outline is because tough love calls for repentance. It calls for repentance. 
And on your outline, letter A, I gave us a brief definition of, a working definition of what repentance is. Because repentance, it's so important to understand this. I think today in Christianity, it has been, it's been watered down to a simple, well, I changed my mind. No, repentance is a change in heart and mind about sin, about God, and myself, and inevitably leads to a change in behavior. You see, repentance is not simply remorse. It's not just feeling bad for what I did, and it's not even fearing consequences. Uh, it's, not, it's not even fearing the punishment, whether that be hell or something else. But true repentance is a heartfelt contrition over how offensive and grievous my sin is before a holy God. It is rooted in a high view of God and not in a high view of myself. It's not, I feel, that, I feel bad because I'm going to get punished because there's bad consequences. No, it's because my sin is an offense to a holy God and I see that for what it is now. You see, Scripture knows nothing of a repentance that does not turn away from sin. Foreign to the pages of the Bible is a repentance that does not include a change in behavior. And actually, Paul, in his, letters to the, to, his first letters to the, to the Thessalonians, says this. In 1 Thessalonians 1.9, he says, there we go. For they themselves, those of Macedonia and Achaia, report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So Paul's telling the church in, in Thessalonica, he said, I praise God that even when people share testimony of your faith, they, they say this, that before you were following after idols, you were serving yourselves and your own sin, you were wrapped up in yourself and what you wanted to do, how you thought you could get to God. But when you heard the gospel, when you heard that, that your sin separated you from the Lord and that it condemned you to an eternity in hell, but that God in his immense love for you sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross taking your sin, your shame, your guilt upon him. And on the third day he rose from the grave. He defeated sin. He defeated death. And today offers you forgiveness and eternal life. He says, and when you heard that, you believed and you repented. You turned from idols to serve the living and true God. There was a change in your life. A complete change. Paul, when he was before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, verses 19 and 20, and he's given his testimony, says this, says, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision and declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles, that they should what? Repent and turn to God. Repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. You see, true repentance will always result in a change in behavior. God expects and desires repentance. You see, what grieved Paul so much is that these are people who professed to know Christ as their Savior and yet lived in a lifestyle of unrepentant sin. Does that describe your life today? Is there in your life a, a rolling repentance, an ongoing repentance? When the Holy Spirit convicts you of a sin, are you quick to confess it, repent of it, and turn away? And once again, follow Christ with all your heart. Or is there a pattern, a practice of sin in your life with very little or no repentance? There was a season in my life where I lived with a lack of repentance about a certain sin. 
And I praise God for putting people in my life who cared enough about me to love me with a tough love that God used to break my heart and to turn from that sin has made me the person I am today. See, Paul grieved because he understood that a lack of repentance leads to serious consequences. One of the first consequences that it leads to we see in chapter 13 is that it results in church discipline. One of the consequences of a lack of repentance is church discipline. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And verse 2, he says, listen, I've warned you before. I'm warning you again. I've warned you before that if I come again, I will not spare those who have sinned, continue to sin, and do not repent. He's talking about church discipline. And he's quoting a well-known passage in, Deut- in Deuteronomy 19.15 that says that two or three witnesses must be there to, give, to present a charge against somebody. Paul's saying, listen, I'm not going to come and run my own show. No, we are going to do this according to Scripture, according to Matthew 18, what, God told us, what Jesus told us about church discipline. He said, and you, church, back in chapter 2, I applauded you for disciplining an unrepentant brother, and then I encouraged you to bring him back into the fold. But now the tables have turned, and you're in danger of church discipline. Oh, repent. You see, even here at McGregor, a lack of repentance is one of the main reasons for church discipline. It spells it out in our Constitution. In section 1.6, paragraph C, subsection 2, if you're curious, that says this, corrective church discipline then should ordinarily be contemplated only after individual and private admonition has failed and only in regards to outward, serious, and what? Unrepentant sin. A lack of repentance results in church discipline. But what I believe grieved Paul's heart even more is that a lack of repentance reveals a missing relationship. It reveals a missing relationship. You see, it was, it was for God's glory. It was for the testimony of the gospel. It was for the purity of the church. And it was for the, the spiritual well-being of the believers in that church that Paul confronts this sin with this tough love. Because he knows that a lack of repentance usually either means one of two things. It either means a a badly damaged or seared conscience of a believer who no longer realizes what sin is and has, has turned off, if he could, the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Or, even worse, it reflects an absence of any saving relationship with the Father. It means a lack of repentance often is an indication that you are not saved, that you never truly knew the Lord. And that's what grieved Paul's heart. It's interesting, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he wrote his letters to the churches in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, used the same term. And actually, out of the seven churches, five of them, the Lord Jesus Christ rebuked because of their lack of repentance. He rooked Ephesus, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Laodicea. He said, repent, church, repent. That is why in a couple of verses in chapter 13, we get to verse 5. Pastor Russell is going to teach on this next week, I believe, when we continue our study of 2 Corinthians. But listen to 2 Corinthians 13, 5, that says this. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. 
test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. That's Paul's exhortation. And that's our exhortation today. So I would encourage you, examine yourself. Test yourself. Do you truly know the Lord? If you are a brother and sister this morning, I praise God for his patience in our lives. But let me ask you this question. Is there unconfessed sin in your life? Is there? Is there a sin to which you, of which you have not yet repented? And if so, do not leave today without getting right with the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there bitterness, unforgiveness in your heart? Do you need to confess the sins of, of jealousy and envy? Is there unrepentant pride, lust, impurity, blatant disobedience? If, search your heart. The Lord desires for himself a pure and righteous bride of Christ. And that starts when we bow the knees of our heart and say, Lord, forgive me. And as Ryan mentioned this morning, 1 John 1, 9 says this, that if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If that is you, believer in Christ, examine your heart. Get right with the Lord. The Lord blesses a pure church. And my friend, if this is your first time here, or maybe it's your hundredth time here, do not think that coming to McGregor or any other church guarantees that you are saved. Paul's exhortation was for the church. So examine yourselves, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Or do you not know that the Lord Jesus Christ lives in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? If there is a pattern, a lifestyle of unconfessed and unrepentant sin in your life, the authority of God's word says that it is very possible that you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. But that is good news because today you have the opportunity to come to him in repentance and faith. You see, you cannot have a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and remain unchanged. He will change your life. And if there is no life change, come to Christ today. Would you come? If you, do not, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, or if you think you do, but you see this pattern of unrepentant sin over and over again, cry out to him. He took that sin, he took that shame, he took that guilt that you feel right now when I'm talking, and he placed it on his son Jesus Christ on the cross. He died for that sin and that guilt and that shame. And he rose again, defeating that guilt, defeating the shame and the condemnation of sin. And today he offers you life eternal. He offers you forgiveness if you would trust and believe manifested through repentance. As we pray to end, and as we sing this next song, let it not be just another song that you sing because this is what we do at the end of the sermon. May it be a time that you and I evaluate our hearts. How can I please the Lord with my attitudes? Is there sin I must confess? Or maybe I need to know this Lord.